Good morning. We are on uh, the final week of our vision series here at Hope Chapel, where uh, each year we spend a a good amount of time walking through our vision uh, to kind of recenter us and recenter our hearts on what God has led Hope Chapel to be uh, when we planted 13, where Todd Michael planted here 13 years ago. And so we believe that Hope Chapel has been uniquely set apart here in town to be a gospel community for the flourishing of the city. And this is done by seeking spiritual, social, and cultural renewal. And last week, we looked at the middle two verses in in Ephesians 2. We've been using Ephesians to kind of walk through our vision. Um, And and we focused on God creating us as his people into his masterpiece. And this morning, uh, our passage kind of flows out of that idea it talks about how our primary identity must be found in Christ. So, so for us to achieve our vision, to be a gospel community for the flourishing of the city, all of us here must find our primary identification first and foremost. How we view ourselves, our belonging, our desires, and our interest. We have to find that first in Christ before we find it anywhere else. So... Um, as many of you guys know, I grew up in, in South Carolina, um, in Charleston, and uh, North Carolina is Southern. South Carolina is a different beast. Um, <clears throat> South Carolina is very Southern. I grew up in a culture, and also Charleston's a little weird too, because you also have the coast, right? So I grew up in this culture that like, uh, what you did on the weekends was you went hunting, you went fishing, right? You went mudding, you went surfing, or you went wakeboarding, right? Like the, it was board sports, Southern culture, all wrapped up in, in this one thing uh, that was Southern Charleston culture, right? What I remember young, from like a very young, young age, was that I didn't fit into that place. I had some massive identity issues growing up in that place. Now, it's not that any of those things are wrong. Actually, most of them are really fun. But for some reason, I never felt like hunting was my thing or that fishing was my thing. Uh, my uncle, even when I was 10, took me hunting, and it was, it was such a kind thing to do. Um, and I think I slept through the entire thing. <laughs> and of course, we didn't see anything. So many of my days were spent in my neighborhood or on a boat fishing. Um, I, I rarely caught anything and, and I really struggled with it, right? Now, I can't tell you how many times I've been in a truck or an SUV holding on for dear life, doing that thing where you kind of like, you know, you're like half smiling. Yeah, this is great while you're mudding and it's like terrible, you know, um, not terrible. You know, I just didn't love it. Right. I never felt like I fit in this place that I grew up, but I tried, I tried, I tried, I tried. But what ended up happening to me was I didn't know who I was. I grew up in this place where all of these things were normalized, that you were supposed to do these things, and I never really connected with them. The only thing I really had was sports. Like, I liked to play sports, and I liked to watch them. And so, like, I had that piece to connect with people on, but but the rest I, I, I didn't really connect with. And so... I didn't really know who I was. I felt out of place. My question is, have you felt that before? Have you felt like you don't fit at times? Or that your identity doesn't match up with those around you or that you don't belong? And do you understand that, that sense of trying and not really succeeding in it? I think growth for me as I got older 
Growth for all of us as humans is understanding who we are and learning to have peace with who we are, right? That was when I started to feel content with myself and where I came from. And even the city that I grew up in was understanding that that's not who I am, but that's okay. That's maturity in a lot of ways, right? But growth for us as Christians, I think it's more. It's, it's, it's not different than that, but it's more. Growth for us as Christians is recognizing who Christ made us to be. Growth for us as Christians is recognizing that we will only understand who we were ever meant to be when we put our primary place of identity and belonging in Christ Jesus. So I had um, these, these pa- this passage that Abby read to us. I actually had the opportunity to preach on them five years ago. Um, it may still be one of my favorite passages that I've ever gotten to preach on before. Um, it might be one of my favorite in the whole Bible. This passage forces us to ask some very difficult questions about ourselves and about our community. It makes us ask, uh, what, what actually unites people that are very different from one another? What, what brings people together that are at odds with one another, that even have contempt and resentment towards one another, that hate one another? Can, is it possible for many different people and races, ethnicities, personalities, genders, can they ever truly come together? This passage makes us ask this question. Is there anything in the entire world that can unite and bring people together? as different from one another as humanly possible. And this passage shows us that there is something, and it's actually a person. There's one person that can unite the entire spectrum of ethnicity, race, culture, gender, humanity, and it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's it. He's the only person, and his kingdom is the only place that the many can come together to one. But it's more than that. It's not just coming together and uniting This passage promises us that we become something more in Christ than just together. We become new. We become something new. This passage says that two things become one in Christ. This is the implication of Paul calling us God's masterpieces. His poema from last week. The the implication is that under Christ we don't just come together. We create a new humanity. This is an identity issue, right? Because we have to give up something to become new. That's scary. It's scary for me to think about. We have to give up our selfishness, our individuality, often our wants and desires, and certainly our sinfulness. When we look to Jesus alone for salvation, there's a level of dying to self to becoming one with one another. But we talk about that piece often. We don't miss that piece Often we talk about losing ourselves to find Christ. That's the right terminology. But the part of ourselves, uh, this is what we miss. The part of ourselves that we lose, it's our sinfulness. All that goes against how we were made to be in Christ. And sin touches every single part of us. Uh, But it doesn't, and it didn't ruin us completely. We're still made in God's image with unique desires and wants, personalities, cultures, ethnicities, races. Those things are a part of who we are apart from the brokenness that sin is. So in Christ, when we're made new, all that is lost is sin and all that sin corrupts in us and over us. But what is made new is who Christ made us to be before sin ever entered the picture. 
Our newness is who we were always meant to be before sin ever touched us. So the many, the different, the unique, the diverse, they become one in Christ. But those things that make us different and unique, your differences, the things that make you unique, they're not nullified in Christ. They're enhanced. They're made beautiful. They don't end when we all are united in Christ, but they become a part of something even bigger. Something bigger, the household of God and used to bring him glory. In Christ, the many become one to make a cacophony of beauty for the glory of God and his kingdom. And this is messy and it can feel chaotic and conflict arises and it doesn't feel safe. Rubbing shoulders with people who are different from us is hard. Let's be honest. And it's not always fun. It's not like we wake up every morning and we're pumped about it. I get it. Things that make us uncomfortable and unsafe and that cause conflict are things that many of us in our lives, we do everything we can. We structure our lives to avoid them as much as possible, right? But these verses show us that it's worth it to be together. Because if we live safe and comfortable lives without any conflict ever, we'll only live in community with people that think like us, who are like us, who like the same things as us, who never push us or ask anything of us. And Paul seems to be describing something very different here in the household of God. And I'd go as far as to say is if we do live like that, we're not putting our identity in Christ Jesus, but we're putting our identity in what we want and our own desires. No, Paul encourages us to put our identity in Christ. And in doing so, there's three promises in this passage that we can cling to when he does. First, Christ promises an end to what divides us. He promises an end to what divides us when we put our identity in him. Two, Christ promises peace between us. So there's a thing that divides us and he promises an end to it. And then in place of that, he promises peace between us and for us. And then finally, Christ promises a dwelling place together among us. So first, an identity in Christ ends what divides us. Verses 11 through 13 say this. Therefore, that remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenant of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So Paul starts this passage talking about our new identity in Christ. And you know who he got, who goes after? He goes after the Gentiles first, which is really interesting. And he, he kind of slams them a little bit. And, and he, he, he uses uh, this kind of awkward and clunky way by pointing out their lack of circumcision. And he did this to, to, to really draw a dividing line between them and the people of Israel, right? That was the sign of the covenant. And they had been uh, God's covenant people for millennia. And so Paul highlights this difference. He speaks to what divides them. And he says, Gentiles, you weren't God's chosen people. You were so separated from Christ and, and that commonwealth. You were such a stranger to the covenant that you had no hope in the world. No hope. Man, he went after him. And why would he do this? Isn't the point of the passage for them to come together, right? Isn't that what I've just been talking about? Why would he come after them and almost shame them? Here's the reason. The Gentiles held the Jewish people in contempt. 
They were the most, uh, they were Roman citizens and, and they had um, power and they had uh, privilege and wealth and they thought that the Jews were lesser. How are they, they we're, supposed to, we're supposed to be with those people? And Paul says, yes, and not just yes. Don't forget those people you hold in contempt, they were God's people for thousands of years. Yes, you get to be a part of it now, but just understand the centuries of history and who were God's people before you now get to be a part. By pointing out their differences, Paul's just being honest. He's calling a spade a spade. There are There is division between them. There was true animosity between them because the Jews also resented the Gentiles. They did not like that they were in positions of privilege and that just immediately they were being grafted into God's people. They weren't happy about being in relationship with them either. Why do these Roman citizens who everything is easy for, who, who has an easy road, why do they get to be a part of this covenant with us? We've suffered and followed God for so long and they just get to be a part of it now. You have two groups of people, one that resents the other and the other holding the other in deep content. Resentment and contentment. How could they ever come together? But in Christ Jesus You who were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. It's only through Jesus Christ that these two people, full of resentment and contempt for one another, could find common ground, a common identity. Only through the shedding of his blood could these two who hated one another become one. The same is true of us. We live in a society that's divided. There's no way around it. And we play into that division as the church. It's problematic. Words like progressive and conservative are used like weapons against one another. Politics have become a means of identity and not a place where Christians can bring the kingdom of Christ. We'd rather lob shots at each other from behind a keyboard or behind one another's back rather than believe the best about one another. We would rather let resentment and contempt for one another boil and boil and boil rather than to enter into healthy conflict. So are we so different than what Paul is talking about here? No, we aren't Jews and Gentiles, but we certainly resent one another often. We certainly hold one another in contempt. And the world is encouraging us to, right? They're stoking that fire inside of us. But do you realize what the blood of Christ accomplished? The blood of Christ is payment for sin. Much like the shedding of the blood in the Old Testament was a symbol of atonement for sin. So when Paul says that Christ's blood was shed, he's saying that which divides us is done. Sin is done between us. It's been paid for by the blood of Christ. There's no space for that in Christ Jesus. The penalty of sin was paid for when his blood was spilled out thousands of years ago. So don't cheapen that payment by allowing our own sinfulness to divide us from one another. For us to embrace the identity that is ours in Christ, to finally unite together in that identity, we must repent of our sin. We must repent of the sin that we do towards one another, that we keep in our heart, that lead us to resentment and contempt. We are different, but that's okay. 
The beauty of what Christ did is that the, the thing that could divide us, our differences, is looking at one another sinfully and saying, your difference is bad. It's not good. I don't like it. But in Christ Jesus, that's wiped away. For us to be the gospel community set aside for the flourishing of sin, we must put an end to what divides us. So um, you may not feel contempt and resentment towards anyone in this church, which is great. And I, I hope that if you do, we begin to step into some of that. But I bet you do feel it towards someone, right? And I promise you, if we don't work through that, if we don't let the grace and repentance of Jesus come deeply into our hearts, it will fester in us. It hurts us. It changes us. It affects us when we don't let that go at the foot of the cross. And it will affect the way you're a part of this body, whether you feel it towards someone here or not. So let's be honest about that which divides us and be willing to cling to the blood of Christ, which is payment for it. So our primary identity is found in Christ Jesus, and it promises an end to what divides us, namely sin. And now he's going to see that Christ promises peace between us. Part of what happens when we make uh, Christ our primary identity is that we find peace, right? Christ promises peace for us and between us. And verse 14 says, He himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances, so so by making peace, and that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, killing hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So this verse promises peace for us as God's people, but it also promises that Christ himself is our peace. So we have access to peace because we have access to Jesus Christ. So in Christ, all that separated the Jews and Gentiles, their lack of uh, circumcision, the Deuteronomic law that was only for the people of Israel, all of it was removed in Christ. He became the uniting factor for all of them. And this is where Paul begins to build his thesis. He shows us that in Christ, that which divides us, sin, resentment, contentment, it's removed. And now that it's removed, we build to something more. We come together. But now what? How do we do that? Often when the things that we hold that differentiates us from others, once those are removed, what happens? We get anxious, right? You start to feel a little panicky inside. It can be scary. There's a level of vulnerability there when we feel like the things that we hold as unique to us are stripped away. And this is what, uh, on one level, what Paul is doing to the Jews. He's saying those things that that did set you apart, that made you different, the law, the commandments that, that, that were a gift to you, they're no longer needed. And this definitely stressed the Jews out a little bit, I'm sure. They didn't know what to do with it. So Paul encourages peace for them. But what is peace? Peace is not just a ceasefire. Because these two groups were hostile towards one another. Paul wasn't saying come together and let's, uh, let's sing light the fire around the fire pit, right? And just forget all those different things that you held towards one another. No. He says that we are reconciled in this one body, this new thing, by the cross. Think about the cross. Agony, death, 
Jesus' body was beaten and bruised. It's there that Paul says that we are made new. It's there that we find peace. The hostility between the the two of you. Listen to his words that Paul used. He says it's killed. Christ killed it. He didn't gloss over it. He didn't avoid it. He recognized the hostility and he entered into it and did whatever was necessary to kill it between them. And in doing so, the two groups who were near and far from one another were made one through the power of the spirit that connects them to God the Father through Jesus Christ. It is Christ who tears walls down, whose work breaks apart. This is where our reconciliation with one another comes from. When we see the cross, yes, we see our sin on Christ's back, right? It's our sin that's on Christ's back and and we know that that is what killed him. But that's not the whole story. At the cross, we also see Jesus killing sin. His body broken and bruised and torn apart is what caused the walls of sin to be torn apart. Jesus Christ reconciles things by breaking them often. So what does this mean for us? It means that the things that divide us must be broken so that we can have reconciliation with one another. It's in reconciliation that we find peace. When people are far from one another, sometimes things must be broken so that they can be brought back together in peace. So what needs to be broken? Hostility. And there is hostility in the body of Christ. Let's face it, we do feel hostile towards one another often. And again, the biggest reason for that is because we don't understand one another. And we feel different from one another. We are different from one another. And when the walls are torn down between us, we can panic. We can feel that anxiety setting in. But, but, But in Christ, we're forced to reconcile those differences. And this creates this, uh, this flight or fight response often, right? Do you ever feel that when you're butted up against someone, you feel that fight or flight response in you, right? Most of us run from that feeling. We, we like, we sense conflict and we want to avoid. And there are some of you crazy, beautiful people out there. You know who you are that want to, that want the fight, you know, fight or flight is not the answer though. Both responses are wrong. If our identity is in Christ, we more than anyone understand that reconciliation and repentance is who we are. It's, it's in our proverbial blood, or it should be. Because it's us who were far from Christ in our sin who came near us so that we could be saved. It wasn't just the dividing wall of hostility that was killed between one another, but it was also between us and God, right? We were hostile towards God. He died so that we could be reconciled to him. So we must be reconciled to one another if we put Christ as our primary place of identity. The answer is not fight or flight. It's reconciliation. It's entering into conflict because it's worth it with a posture of humility. It's being willing to own your own stuff and expect those who you are in conflict with to own their stuff too. Because that's what we do as God's people. That's who we are. It's being willing to forgive and not a false stated forgiveness, but a forgiveness that takes work, energy, It's being willing to take a hard look at our own heart and see the ways we've acted hurtful and problematic towards one another. And also holding our brothers and sisters to the standard of Christ as well. Reconciliation and repentance is what makes peace. 
So here's my encouragement. Make peace with one another. Make peace with one another because it's worth it. Make peace because you believe Christ uh, is enough to be your peace. Make peace in your households and in your families and in your community groups. This passage teaches us that it's worth it. And that sometimes things need to be broken to make peace. So don't be afraid of that. Some relational systems may need to be broken. What may need to be broken is a false reality of how you view yourself or others. Maybe what needs to be broken is structures that are flawed. But the point of breaking things is not just to break them. But to be rebuilt into something new and more beautiful in reconciliation. I think for Hope Chapel to be the community that Christ has called us to be. For the flourishing of the city. We must normalize being in conflict with one another. So that we can normalize reconciliation. If we aren't in conflict with one another, we aren't living as a family. We aren't being honest about the things that make us different. We aren't being honest about our hurt. So let's start being honest with one another. Let's have such intimacy with one another in our relationships, in our community groups, that conflict happens. You know what happens when you shut the door of your household, right? You know what conflict goes on at your house. Families fight. And if we're going to be a family here at Hope Chapel, we need to normalize conflict so that we can normalize reconciliation. Yes, it'll be messy. Yes, it'll be chaotic. Yes, it'll hurt. Yes, it'll cause you to be vulnerable and humble. And yes, you will do it poorly. But it's worth it. It's worth it. Don't run from it and don't bring false bravado to it. Own your wrongdoing with one another and ask your brother and sister in Christ to do the same. With Christ as our hope and our place of identity and belonging, we can make peace together. This brings me to my final point. He promises an end to what divides us, and then he promises next peace between us, and now we're going to see that he promises a dwelling place together with us. And the passage ends this beautiful way. It says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Paul says, you two groups of people, you're no longer strangers or aliens. This is what he was building towards this whole time. You're citizens in the household of God himself. And he he unfolds all of redemptive history before them. He says, the saints that came before you, the prophets, the apostles, the members, they're, they're all foundation of this new humanity that Christ is the cornerstone that you now get to be a part of, that we now get to be a part of. Humanity's purpose since the garden was always to dwell with God and he to dwell with his people. And sin exiled us from that presence, right? But the trajectory of redemptive history in scripture has always been God doing whatever it took to rescue his people and to restore his presence to them. So in Christ, that presence that was foreshadowed by the temple, as Paul mentions here, is fully inaugurated in the Holy Spirit who unites us to Christ. A household that we now inhabit. Not built on cultural bias, but a people joined together as a family, united by something deeper than genetics, but by the blood of Jesus Christ himself. 
This is the new thing. A household where many can come, a place where the weak can find belonging, the needy find sustenance. In Christ, there's space for the many to become one together. I've talked about it a lot this morning. But there's a differentiator of Hope Chapel um, that I really love. It's that we have a diversity of faith backgrounds here. We do. We're Presbyterian, but we don't flaunt it. Uh, we care about social and cultural renewal, but we also don't believe in a social gospel at the expense of the inerrancy of Scripture and Orthodox Christian beliefs. We believe in emotional intelligence and empathy and believe that the life of Jesus clearly demonstrates that example for us. We worship in a liturgical and sacramental way, but we try to do it in a way that's accessible. There, there's all these things that uh, differentiate us as a body that each of us connect with in different ways. It's a really cool culture that we have here. But what has happened is it's brought a bunch of different people that are very different from each other. There's a myriad of different personalities and beliefs, theological backgrounds, socioeconomic statuses, passions and giftings here. It's just true. This could be a powder keg, right? Waiting to blow up. But it's not. And it won't. Because I truly believe that y'all want to put your identity in Christ first. And when that happens, things change. We see those differences of our body here. We'll begin to see them not with hostility, but with grace. We'll see those differences not with suspicion, but by believing the best of one another. We begin to see our differences not as a threat, but as a potential for impact in a different way than you would do it yourself. When our identity is in Christ, we see the differences in one another as the way it was always meant to be in the family of God. You see, division dies at the cross, but differences flourish. At the cross, division dies and differences flourish. This is what Paul is getting at. He was telling the Jews that they don't have to be like the Gentiles and the Gentiles don't have to be like the Jews. But the wall can come down between them. And there's a sense in evangelicalism that we are supposed to all look the same, act the same, and have the same interests and desires. But that reality has been proven false. And that's okay. A great many people and ethnicities and personalities have felt missed and hurt because of that kind of whitewashing. I don't think that's what the Bible describes as flourishing. I don't think that's what Paul is describing here. That we're all supposed to be or act or look exactly the same. No, I think Paul's describing something infinitely more beautiful that oneness that we have in christ this new humanity provides space for all of those differences for tribes ethnicities ethnicities genders interests passions personalities to come together and make something beautiful it makes space for the emotionally intelligent to connect with a theology buff in our congregation we have both it makes space for the bleeding liberal and the diehard conservative to get lunch together. We have both. It makes space for the Presbyterian, lifelong Presbyterian to hang out with the free will Baptist. Free will Baptist. We have both here. It means that the extrovert and the introvert can be in community group together. That one's hard. A lot of you introverts don't love when I talk a lot. I get it. But they can be in a community group together and choose to make space for one another. 
in Christ, the things that divide us come down. And we can find peace because we're built into something new and more beautiful. A diverse set of individuals embodying a new humanity in Christ. We can be that at Hope Chapel. We are that at Hope Chapel. Um, I don't know if you've ever been to my office. I've got a weird office. I just do. Like on this wall, there's like Clemson football championship newspapers. And on this wall, there's like hip hop artists and NBA players. And then behind me is uh, the picture of the gospel story. And there's like books all around me. And there's like fantasy novels and commentaries and theology books. You know, it's a gift that I'm able to show all the different things that I'm passionate about in my office. And the part of the reason I get to do that is because you guys have embraced me as your pastor and allowed me to be who I am all with my different interests and passions and theological hobby horses and all those things. And that's a gift to me for us to be the body of Christ. We got to continue to do that for one another, make space for one another. And the only way we can do that is by putting our identity in Christ Jesus first and foremost in him alone. And you've moved towards me in that way. And you move towards one another in that way. Let's continue to grow in it. Because if we do, this body will continue to grow, not just numerically, but spiritually and in maturity in Christ together. And we'll create this beautiful community of difference and uniqueness, but also oneness in Christ. And we'll be able to go into this city and we'll be able to show a new way, a new humanity, the way that it was always meant to be before sin ever entered the picture. And we'll get to do it together as the many become one. So let's do that together. Amen.